Race complicates our relationships even when we reject racism and seek to walk a better path together. How can we get our thinking and our conversations unstuck from entrenched patterns? Well, hi, hello, and welcome back to the God Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle, and we have a number of very special guests on the show today. There are four of them, uh, and they've just published a new IVP America book on the subject of race called Healing Conversations on Race, Four Key Practices from Scripture and psychology and I found this book really useful. So our guests are Viola Vasquez, a licensed psychologist and tenured professor of psychology in the College of Behavioral and Social Sciences at uh, California Baptist University. And I should say uh, these folk are all from California Baptist. Joshua Nabib is a board certified clinical psychologist as well as associate professor of psychology and director of the PsyD program. Charles Lee Johnson is one of the founders and chair of the social work department and Crystal Hayes is the director of the doctor of social work program and an assistant professor of social work. All of these wonderful people joining me from California Baptist University. Guys, hi, welcome. Hello. Hello, hey, thank hey. you. It's good to have it. Good to see you and have you all on the show. Now, um, can we just ask each of you to give us a little bit of information about each of your backgrounds, please? Do you want to start, Viola? Sure. So you gave a little bit about my professional background as a licensed psychologist. Um, I've um, always been in California. I did my um, undergrad studies at California Baptist University, where I um, now teach. But uh, a little bit about my personal background and background. I am a biracial woman. So my father is black, my mother is white. And so I have, I think, a unique experience of growing up in um, some multiracial uh, environments, but also some environments where most of my friends and family members were white, and then had to kind of experience what it was growing up as a biracial individual in those environments figuring out kind of what that looks like, experiencing discrimination and racism and finding ways to relate to people who are different from me. Yeah, Joshua. Yeah, so I'm a, a licensed psychologist and, uh, you know, get a get the opportunity to work with great colleagues here from California Baptist University. Uh, I think just maybe something personal about me, uh, I just really feel called to do this project with with my colleagues here, because I think uh, of some of my own experiences uh, early on in life. I, uh, you know, my father moved out of the home, and so I kind of grew up without a, a dad present, and then uh, experienced in uh, really lower middle class neighborhoods growing up was a really great thing. But then in middle school, began to experience uh, really ra race related conflict and, and, you know, into high school. And so in middle school and high school formative years, I really uh, saw, you know, people from different racial backgrounds not getting along and, and a lot of pain associated with that. And so really felt called to work with my colleagues to, to do something about that and to, to help other Christians to do so as well. So looking forward to, to having the conversation. Oh, awesome. Yeah, Crystal. Yeah, so um, black woman grew up in in um, an area in Southern California, predominantly black, and 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 had um, an experience transitioning into middle school. We moved to the suburbs, which was which you know I had this experience of being the racial minority and just having some real early life experiences with race related concepts and and you know just moving through life and discovering my passion for social work. Um, and social justice and, and you know, just really am uh, passionate about and interested in the idea of how we navigate race relations and, and you know, as a believer and then coming to um, 
CBU having this opportunity to see the things that I was passionate about in my everyday life through the lens of, uh, you know, a biblical worldview and, and God's demand for and heart for justice and things. It's just been a pleasure to integrate these, you know, different areas of life. And so I'm excited that we can share it with the world. <laughs> yeah, and you are. Yeah, absolutely. Charles, <laughs> last but not least, brother. Hey, listen, I, I'm excited, man. I'm in God's Story podcast. What's going on? It's good to be here. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, California, man. South Central Los Angeles, born a mom who was phenomenal, um, black family, uh, but was decimated by some of the things that were going on. And so my father was addicted to crack cocaine, uh, kind of fell during the crack epidemic, changed a lot of what happened with our family, stabbed twice when I was younger, lived in different households. My last name is hyphenated because I was adopted, had a social worker who worked with me, adopted me, got me on uh, incredible track. So when we talk about God's story, like my, my life has been God's story. Went to a historically black college and university, uh, got a UCLA doctorate out of United Theological Seminary in Ohio. Uh, and began working with kids that were like just like me uh, on on how do you live a successful life. So that's what landed me in social work. My entire mission has been really to have healing conversations, whether it be family trauma, whether it be community trauma, and in this case, dealing with racial trauma, uh, of which I endured a lot growing up and even through my collegiate and professional career. And, and that's what led us to the creation of this book was uh, we're about to face another racial conflict here at California Baptist University. We're all Christian, but I had a, uh, I don't want to say a clash, but a misunderstanding with Dr. Nab uh, in the midst of a meeting. And that eventually gave birth to this book. But I, I'm going to, I'm going to line that so that we could go, kind of go to the next page. So uh, the murder of George Floyd had, had, had just happened. We were in a meeting uh, at work, and this is, you know, during COVID. And so we're in a format similar to what we're doing right now. And um, I, I, my emotions just came out all over through the meeting. You know, that nobody called attention to the fact that another Black man had been murdered. If anyone should care to me, Christians should care. And so, I, you know, the meeting was about to end and I just let it all out. And in the midst of that, different colleagues began to respond, emoting for how they felt. But my good brother, Dr. Nab, in that meeting was quiet. He didn't say anything. And I interpreted his silence as he doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about Black people. He doesn't care about Black issues. And see, he's supposed to be a Christian and be a racist. I was steaming on the inside. So we ran into each other here at the university uh, in the hallway. And uh, as we we're in the hallway, I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let him know, you know, what he did. And as we began to talk, he says, man, I didn't say anything because I'm racist or because I don't care. He said, as a white man, I felt maybe I need to just listen and not say anything. Mm. So he said, I wanted to be in a place of just listening and 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 others express without cutting anybody off. And then he said, and man, to be honest with you, I wasn't really sure what to say. Mm-hmm. Man, it was a complete difference, Brent, on, on like what I thought he was saying by not saying anything and what was actually the case. And what we realized is that, man, if we stop long enough to just talk to each other and to hear one another, 
we could really get past a lot of stuff that keeps us racially separate. Yeah, for sure. That led us into healing conversations. Awesome. That's an awesome story, Charles. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. Now, before we carry on, can I just ask each of you again, if I may, how how have each of you experienced discrimination? Now, you each individually, you've shared some of that story, but do, do you want mm -hmm. to add a bit more, please? Do we want to mm -hmm. go back to Viola? Sure. Mm. Yeah. In my life, I've experienced discrimination in many ways, but I think the biggest way that I've experienced it is um, not being accepted by um, by people who are part of my white community. Like I said, being biracial, not being accepted by people as part of the black community um, and wanting to find ways to connect with both those communities, often feeling um, like an outsider or being treated like an outsider in those communities. And and that comes from simple things of being treated differently just simply because of the way I might wear my hair to being treated differently, like being followed in a store, for example. And so it's there's been multiple ways, but for me, it's come from both sides of my communities. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Joshua. Yeah. I'm and clear as we start that, you know, in, in my experiences in, in no way are um, similar to in terms of the, the, the you know, racism and, and the painful experience of racism that my colleagues have experienced. But I will say that, you know, looking back on middle school into high school, uh, I think God's providence was at work in that God gave me a glimpse into, you know, one hundredth of the pain that 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 you know my my brothers and sisters in Christ here Christians of color experience on a daily basis which has given me a heart for this project and so i remember in middle school my dad had just left it was 7th grade he was in and out of the house multiple times i remember going home and looking in the closet to see if he left again and i was uh, i would say picked on or maybe bullied a bit by uh, uh, fellow students of, of color. And, and so I can remember feeling at times, not only was, uh, did I have a dad who wasn't available, but I, I can remember feeling ashamed of having white skin and being white and, and feeling really kind of uh, just, just less than in that experience. And, and so, you know, in no way is that reflective of or consistent with what what uh, Black or African Americans have experienced in this country. But I think it gave me a glimpse into racial conflict and and uh, being preoccupied with you know my skin color and and feeling different from and and sort of being vigilant about you know where I walked on campus and things like that and so uh, going into high school I I saw more of that in a, a racially diverse high school and just did not see uh, overall people from different racial backgrounds getting along and so I think again looking back on my experience that that God gave me a glimpse into and, and is no way reflective of you know what what others have gone through but a glimpse into the pain associated separate from or different from and and wanting to do my part to to bring healing to the body of Christ or, or uh, Christian communities yes crystal mm -hmm. yeah so uh, and I talk about this a little bit more in the book but my experience has been, I think one of, technically I'm a millennial. I don't claim that's that too much. But <laughs> and so this kind of Black American millennial version of discrimination where maybe, you know, I know very, very uh, well the stories of my grandparents and my parents about, you know, having explicit you know, very violent experiences with racism and discrimination and, you know, redlined in housing and all of that. And that not being 
my direct experience, right? Having grown up in fairly uh, racially, ethnically diverse um, communities and, and you know, through school, being with lots of other uh, racial and ethnic backgrounds and, 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 and yet and still experiencing what I call like this kind of death by thing right where there's this very subtle you know microaggression style of racism that in many ways and, and you know scholars have talked about this can be as or more detrimental than more some of the more explicit forms of racism because it can often leave you feeling like am I tripping you know am I crazy did I just imagine that that happened right like I feel like you know was I just passed up for that they didn't outright say oh you know you black girl get over it but you know that there's something there and so so there's a lot of that I think throughout life you know too many experiences to like really even start to draw a list but I think one that um probably many younger black Americans um especially those who are in more diverse settings experience where there's still this lingering sense of like, you know, racial bias or discrimination or something happening there, even if it's not out loud in your face. Yeah, for sure. Charles. Yeah, I, you know, I struggle with the with kind of answering this question, because as a as a black man in America, when are we not discriminated against? I, I think that would be, you know, sort of my approach and my answer to that, that I think that's something I, I've learned to deal with on a regular that there are microaggressions, there are statements, there are images, there are policies, there are practices, there are systemic barriers, um, there's police harassment, there's negative media images. I mean, so I can go on and on on the things that I'm daily impacted by. I think maybe um, a more recent situation, uh, being invited for a speaking engagement in southern uh, United States and Georgia, uh, I had left California Baptist University, had a great class here, had just preached at a church uh, here in uh, the Inland Empire. I'm going down there to speak to a bunch of people who are in law enforcement, and I get pulled over. Um, I get pulled over. The guy says that I was doing, you know, 55 and a 50. Okay, you know, maybe I'm going to get a ticket. He sees my driver's license, sees I'm from California, sees I'm African-American. And he's like, what are you doing here? I'm telling him I'm a professor. I do this or that. I'm a pastor. He says, nah, you're lying. Says that I'm selling drugs. Oh, wow. The car pulls me out of the yeah. car, uh, starts beating me up. So this is a story I haven't told a lot, but um, I'm getting beat up by this uh, white officer on the side of the road. Um, I put my hands up to block myself. And he says, oh, you're trying to swing on me, pulls out his gun. Um, I turn backwards and um, it, it brought me to an old image when I was younger, my, I got pulled over. I was with my dad, my, my adoptive father and a police officer did, was doing the same thing to him. And my dad told us as little boys, he said, I want you guys to turn around, get down on your knees because if this has got to shoot you in the back of the head. And so I don't know why that was a thing in my head when this was happening to me now as a grown man, um, in a professional career, but I turned around, I did exactly what my dad said. My dad had been dead, but I heard that in my head. So I did that. He handcuffed me, threw me in jail. Um, so I, I was I was sitting in jail, man, after thought I was doing all this great work. I got into a fight while I was incarcerated, you know, with some other guys that were locked up. It was a bad experience. I didn't sleep for like four days. Um, and in the end, I got my license back. I got released. My, my rental car got impounded, but I was released and there was no sorry. There was, it was just 
this is what happened to you. Um, I missed the speaking engagement that I was supposed to be at. And I just end up taking a flight coming back home. And that's just another story of being a black man in America trying to do good. And one of many stories I know, yeah. we, we, I mean, I'm, I'm in New Zealand, as you know, I'm, I, I feel an outsider to a degree in this conversation, but we see these, mm -hmm. we see the footage, I see the footage on Twitter, you know, it's just, I mean, I, th I yeah, it's just absolutely atrocious. Yeah. All I can say about it. And we have we have similar problems here in New Zealand um, uh, uh, with with our law enforcement folk. Mm. Yes. Okay. Uh. Well, yes. Okay. Let's come on and talk about the heel model. Now, what is the heel model, and what's what, why is it unique? Do you think? Uh, Who wants I, to start? Yeah, he's telling me to jump in. I didn't hear you. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. So the HEAL model, so it's an uh, acronym for Healing Conversations on Race, uh, where we um, encourage people who have different racial and ethnic backgrounds to use humility, empathy, acceptance of emotions, and Christ-like love to be able to engage in conversations about race-related experiences and events and racism in a way to bring about healing in cross-racial risk. And the model itself is um, grounded first and foremost in a biblical view of God's character of humanity and sin and how we're supposed to relate to each other as and using Christ as a model. And so using him as a model, we really um, work to build in Christ-likeness into conversations on race, encouraging each person to to invite God into those conversations and into the way they handle themselves in the conversations by using those key principles and practices, the empathy, acceptance, and love. So that's like, that's a summary, um, but obviously there's more to it than that. Anybody else want to add to that? I hear something oh, no? about the, the, the mental skills and the, the psychology piece. Yes, yeah. Please. So, yep. yeah. So we, so we're interacting with, we start with a biblical worldview, a biblical foundation. And that's, that was really important for us because there are a lot of approaches out there, many secular um, and, you know, some have great things to say about, you know, components of the model, but we felt like in order to really reach Christian communities and create Christian unity, we wanted to start with a biblical foundation. So doing that, but then also gaining insight into interpersonal dynamics, drawing heavily from a, a type of couples therapy that, that really looks at uh, having more vulnerable conversations. Uh, couples are escalated, they're talking past each other, they're angry, they're critical of each other. And we saw that often reflected in cross-racial uh, conversations. And so we attempted to draw insight from uh, this type of therapy that really looks at going beneath more surface level emotions to more vulnerable places, for example, expressing a deeper hurt or a deeper sadness or even shame. And so beginning to look at how we can be responsive to one another's needs. And so really the gist of that model is to say that where there's an emotion, there's a need. And so listening for, as we have these conversations, more vulnerable emotions, and then asking in the midst of sadness, in the midst of fear, in the midst of shame, what is this brother or sister in Christ need from me? And how can I be responsive to that? And so I think that was key in, in trying to understand how we can you know, be more vulnerable with each other in order to invite more unifying conversations rather than just labeling you know the other quote unquote political party or the other 
othering people, right? And, and instead saying, how can understanding pain bring us together and help us to be responsive in a Christ-like way to one another? Oh, yeah, let me add, let me add to that because you were asking what makes it um, unique. Yeah. So, you know, we all kind of watch and, and, and those of us who have been in this area of like pursuing justice and racial justice and all of this for a long time. It's like I remember uh, the summer of 2020 happening and folks have different names for what was going on, um, especially in the U.S., but throughout the world where you could almost feel, you know, the world shake. Right. Like this great awakening to to you know racism and and all kinds of things um that that people of color have been experiencing and i remember you know brothers and sisters in christ christians particularly white christians you know having this sense several folks coming to you know me having this sense of like either i didn't realize exactly or you know what i mean like like having this true desire to know more to learn more to do better right to respond in some way but at the same time, almost a, you know, paralyzing, I don't even know where to start, right? Like, I, like how deep does this hole go? What, what, what could I possibly do? Especially those of us uh, in, in our social work department here were, you know, putting stuff together to try to help people feel a little bit more confident and equipped that they could actually respond. Um, but there was still a lot missing. And I, looking back now, what was missing was a model, right? Like an actual steps of what do you do? Because much of what is out there right now either focuses on just educating people in general about racism and all that. And that's important. You need to be educated. Or it or much of what is out there right now tells you what not to do, right? Like how to not be racist. <laughs> but very little, especially for the believer in telling you what to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the beauty of this thing. It gives people steps. Mm -hmm. You think that this thing is important. You know, God has God has worked on your heart to see the reality of racism. And now you're compelled to want to do something. Now, here's the next step. This is what you do. And so I think that's really powerful. about yeah, this. Yeah. yeah. I've got to ask this question. Um, how does God's story, the grand narrative of Scripture, help us demonstrate empathy to others? So let's deal with empathy. We probably won't have time to deal with the other three, the other three. But how does Scripture help us demonstrate empathy to others? Do you think? Yeah. And so you know, I'll hop in on, on this part. You know, the the story of the Bible story is a story in many of empathy. Right. It, it is of God identifying with his creation and and feeling for his creation. Right. I don't want destruction for you. You know, if the one gets away, I'm going after leaving the ninety nine and going after the one. There's there's always this this identification, even to the place of I identify with you so much and I feel you so much. I'm going to wrap myself in skin come into the world to be walk among you right die for you so that i can always have you like that's it's like empathy like with a cape right <laughs> flying <laughs> through the sky right that I, I i feel you that much right um and so uh when 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 we look at our approach to um hearing feeling lamenting with relating to right those who are in front of you we are we are very much saying hey we want you to engage in this process with this uh, of self-emptying 
and really being able to identify with um, with those who are around you who may be very different. Maybe you're in a position of power over them. There could be all different types of, of setups, but, but can you do what God did for all of us, right? The entire biblical story is the story of saying, I see you, I love you, I identify with you, I want to hear from you, I want to be with you, right? And if we could just, man, wouldn't it be great? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else want to add to that? Oh, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say, um, you know, I, I think about two Hebrews and 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 the high priest empathizing with our weaknesses. And, and I mean, just this powerful story, as Dr. Lee Johnson said, of, of God entering into human history, being responsive to going out and, you know, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son, right? Arms stretched wide open. Uh, I think of the patience of God. Uh, so, you know, we are called to then be patient with one another in the midst of working out our faith with fear and trembling and trying to be Christ-like along the way, imperfectly, but that God has modeled for us what reconciliation looks like in love. And so we are then called to, to, to do that with others. But Jesus is our path forward. We are, you know, reconciled to God through our union with Christ. We're no longer enemies with God and through Christ we are able then to see that path forward. And I think that's why Christ-likeness is central for our model. To be more like Christ is organically then move towards unity in cross-racial racial relationships. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we really believe that engaging these type of conversations is a part of our formation in Christ-likeness, a part of our sanctification process. As we're growing to become more and more like Christ, we're doing that through demonstrating these qualities in these conversations. And this stuff happens in a crazy way, Brett. Let me let me tell you, I, I was I, I'm I'm liable to say anything. You, you started off, you said you can say anything. I was like, yeah. I saw it. Can I just say, can, Charles? Can I just interrupt? I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, brother. But I, I, can I just say, we've got about two minutes left. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, but carry on. Yeah, <laughs> go for it, bro. Oh. Yeah. Listen, I'm just just saying that um, these are things that we have to practice on an ongoing basis. You know, Dr. Vasquez and I, we sat down. She had her husband's in law enforcement. I had issues with law enforcement, given an experience that I had. Right. Um, and then as we're talking through this and I at the time, I didn't know she had a husband in law enforcement. She begins to share that the empathy begins to to happen as I'm hearing her story. So it's the sharing of stories, being the the willingness to hear each other's story. When I hear God's story of redemption for mankind, it opens me to empathy as I heard her story, it was like, wait a minute, she's worried about her husband. She's worried about her sons as well. And I'm thinking this is the enemy and she's like, no, but this is my husband. Right? Um so being able to hear each other gives us a greater proclivity to be gentle and patient with one another. Yes, there's an old song which was on the radio when I was a kid called Walk a Mile in My Shoes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and uh, man, do we need to walk a mile in other people's shoes and learn to see things as they see things and feel as they f see, see as they feel. Tony Joe White, wasn't it? Yep. I think. Uh, Yep. All right, folks. I'm sorry, but that's gonna, that's our lot. So um, 
I'm, I feel uh, we could have gone on <laughs> for another half hour. Viola Vasquez, Joshua Neb, Charles Lee Johnson, Crystal Hayes, all from California Baptist University. The book from IVP America is Healing Conversations on Race, Four Key Practices from Scripture and Psychology. Grab a copy. You won't see the world again the same way again after you've read it. And it's opened up a whole new uh, vista for me and I'm uh, it's been life enriching so all four of you God bless you all you wonderful folk thank you so much for your time and may God bless you richly all of you bless you we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story podcast to ensure you never miss an episode please subscribe and if you're enjoying the podcast please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review this will help more people discover God's story for themselves if you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.